Hi all, welcome to Anime Echoes. So we'll be going through Bakano Light Novel 9, pages 125 to 153. Alright, so we begin the next scene with Rail wondering why the bomb didn't go off where he wanted to go off. So turns out, Graham threw like a small wrench at the bomb and he, he like hid it away and he made it like explode away from his men. So to Rail's like chagrin, um, he, like Graham's men were mostly uninjured, like that wasn't what he wanted. Um, after this, so the focus is very much on like Graham's character, so it's really really interesting. Um, Graham has like many lines of dialogue here, um, where he's constantly like going back and forth um, on his opinion on something. For example, he's like ecstatic and happy about his current circumstances of fighting Rail and Frank, and yells that like God must be playing favorites with him. And then right after, he says that maybe there's no God. Another instance is that he's uh, like where he's talking about the flames from an explosion. He rushes towards Rail and says that like these flames are our property, see? Then he's like, uh, so whose are they? Because crap, they aren't mine either. So whose property are they? Like he's confused. He's always just going back and forth. And a lot of it doesn't really make that much sense. Like, one thing Graham does is he's, like, he says a statement, and then he says, like, the opposite of the statement, and then he goes, like, which one are they? Like, he constantly does this. So, what he's doing is, like, he's ping-ponging, like, between extremes, but then he's never really landing on anything, like, concrete. Like, his questioning just creates more questioning. Like, you kind of have to wonder if he ever feels, like, exacerbated with himself, or, like, just exhausted by his own thoughts. But I think he's, for the most part, actually enchanted by his own thoughts. Like, every time he's, like, flipping between the extremes, like, he's getting more excited somehow. Um, so I think that's what's going on with him. Now, another thing that Graham does is he attempts to, like, process stuff in the moment. So part of not landing anywhere with his questions or having, ever having, like, an answer to his own questions is that, um, well, part of that is that that's still an attempt to find an answer. Like, if you don't ask a question at all, then you can't actually eventually have an answer. So all of this questioning is kind of like an attempt to process what's happening in the moment, I think. Like, interestingly enough, um, like, part of him kind of landing on something concrete is that he's pretty receptive to, like, the thoughts of other people. So, for example, Rail asks if his head's, like, screwy. Um, like, taking that idea from Rail... He continues that, like, that must be it. Like, that's the answer. That he has to, like, they, he has to make things fun for, for himself. And that he enjoys himself in, like, the most crazy situations. And he even says, I bet I can have fun with sad stuff too. So there's, like, no limit to the things that I enjoy. Um, but he wouldn't arrive at the answer um, if Rail didn't, like, help him out, right? By giving him that little prompting. By saying that he's kind of screwy. Um, so yeah, that's why I think he's like receptive to other people's thoughts because um, like without Rail saying his brain's screwy, he wouldn't arrive at that answer. Um, yeah, and he tends to take them on. Um, that being said, as soon as he lands on idea, on an idea, sorry, so as, as soon as he's like concrete about an idea, he's already moved on to another idea. And then he's back to being indecisive again, like asking questions. Now, this does answer one of his questions though to himself, which was, is God playing favorites with him or is he making it great for himself? Well, now we know that the conclusion is that he's making it great for himself, right? He learned that uh, from like with Rail's help that he's screwy. So he makes these um, he makes these events and ideas and he gets high off them, basically. 
Um, but yeah, he, he can't really hold on to like a position. Like he's just constantly going from possibility to possibility. And the second he lands on something, he's already somewhere else. Now, when Sickle arrives at the scene, I think we get an even more clear idea of how his brain works. He says that upon seeing her, that he's getting psyched, um, psyched up for like a reason. And then he wonders if it's the true form of love, uh, like is that exhilaration of feeling. So that feeling of being like exhilarated by something, is that the true form of love? Um, and he's talking about how the unknown feeling of love makes him excited. But then specifically, the feeling of, I'm not sure, that's the thing that really kind of gets him going. So I'm just going to like kind of say that again so it sounds more clear. What he's trying to really say is that, um, like he's first questioning if the true form of love is this feeling of exhilaration or or is it this feeling of like unknown where he's const- where he's at a state where he's like, I'm not sure what's actually going on. Like, you know, like the tension maybe that you feel between yourself and someone else, right? Like you're not actually sure. Like, is that the true form of love? Now, what's interesting about this idea that he lands on is that what he's talking about is indecisiveness. And indecis- being indecisive or being in a state of indecision is the true form of love. And the state of indecision or not ever landing anywhere or having an answer is basically where Graham's core is at at all times, I think, um, especially when he's at the most exaggerated. So I think this state of indecision is something that Graham almost like romanticizes as well. Now, there are instances where Graham's, like, zealousness and, like, indecision is not that, like, apparent. Like, there are moments of Graham being, like, more, like, sure of himself or just more forthcoming with his, like, with his position or, like, he's, like, less confused. Um, It first comes with these interactions with Lisa. After Lisa taunts Rail about his surda scars and stuff like that, Graham is far more decisive and confrontational as well. While he does still, like, question stuff, when he, once he sees that Lisa's just talking shit, he tells her how obvious the way she's acting is. That she's doing it because she just has to make herself feel better. She's talking shit from, like, a place of, like, false superiority. Um, and he notices that, like, immediately. And he's arrived at that answer. Um, Lisa, Lisa even tries to, like, do, like, a sneak attack with the chakrams, but... Graham notices the sneak attack really quickly. Like, it's all just very obvious to him. Um, I think it being obvious is why Graham is so confrontational and decisive about Lisa being just terrible. Because Lisa is just super straightforward. Like, she's easy for him to pick apart and understand. Um, she's not, like, there's not that much to her that he can't really see. Like, there isn't much questioning Graham can do. Like, he's not particularly indecisive about how he feels about her. He says that she's ultimately not that fun and that she should just go away. I think for Graham, someone that is so straightforward and unambiguous, um, like in who they are and what they think, is someone who's pretty boring. And um, he's quite decisive about that opinion. So if you don't give like a sense of vagueness, he's not that interesting to, I mean, he's not that interested in you. So for Graham, Lisa just isn't that interesting. She's not ambiguous enough to bring out any interesting questions or possibilities for him to talk about. Now, as this scene continues, Graham's decisiveness um, continues to increase like more and more. Um, With his flashback when he was young, he used to always break things. Now, this flashback is very, very interesting. Anyway, um, yeah, so he used to always break things. Um, So not all that different to the Graham that we know right now. Um, His mother states that He doesn't understand the feelings of those 
that are being broken. Like at that time, he didn't really understand that. But his mother said that, and then he started questioning that idea. Like that sparked some questioning within himself. And he had like this deep yearning to break stuff. And he still, like, he still wanted to break stuff, but his mom kind of made him feel guilty about it. And he didn't really know what to do. He was indecisive about it. And what's the solution to that? Well, he wanted to understand the feelings of someone that is broken then. And so to confirm that experience for himself, he broke himself. His arms were twisted, his body was destroyed, and now he understood what that was like. So a pretty brutal way to kind of come to that understanding. But, you know, if you do it to yourself, then you understand the pain, right? So now he understood that pain. And through that, it gave him the permission to, like, break things again. Because he knows, like, what what it's like now. He knows the pain. Um, So he's given himself full permission to kind of destroy Um, But during this event, uh, there was something that came up for him. He realized that through the actions of like harming himself, that um, all things eventually decay, that things will naturally break down. Like I I think he got in touch with the idea of death and decay and things like that. But he never fully acknowledged this feeling. Like he only got like a glimpse of it. And um, almost in like the defiance of the decay of things, He decided to continue to break things almost like in defiance of that. So like um, if, you know, so basically like if everything's going to break down anyways, then I might as well be the one to do it. That's what I got from that idea. Um, Though that was unconscious. Like Graham, you know, he like internalized it, but he never realized he internalized it. And now Graham in this moment, within this fight, he's kind of remembering all of this. And that's how I kind of interpreted this scene. Like... He had forgotten something critical, which was the natural decay of all things. Um, He had kind of buried that deep. And then after Chi, like, dislocates his arm, he feels pain. And that's actually what, like, draws him back into this flashback. Like, that pain was similar to the pain that he had felt in the past. The pain of being broken down when he broke himself down. So through connecting to that memory, he was able to kind of resurface a lesson that he had never like, kind of fully consciously internalized. He had only done it unconsciously, and he'd, like, forgotten about it, which is the lesson that ultimately everything decays. And now that applies to himself as well, right? Like, he's kind of realized this lesson, and then he's like, oh, wait, this applies to me too. Like, I will decay. Like, like before, he never really considered the idea that he might decay or be beaten or broken. Uh, Graham thinks that, like, Lad would have hated what he's become right now. Like, someone who believes that they will not die. That's something Lad would absolutely hate. Someone that would not decay. Now, after reconciling with the fact that everything decays, he finally gained some clarity for himself, right? And really, importantly, some decisiveness. Now that he's confronted death and the understanding that everything decays, just like the people before him, you know, the people before him might also die, right? they might also decay. Because of that, he's now more willing to kill. He's now kind of like a lad. Um, And with no hesitation, he states, your teamwork, your pride, the bones on your neck, it's all the same to me. I'll break them all. And he says this with complete certainty while swinging that massive wrench in his hand at like insane speed. Um, so yeah, I think um, like this entire process of going back into his own flashback is kind of character development for Graham to kind of get to this point where he's actually okay with 
essentially like breaking people and maybe even killing them. So yeah, this entire scene was just really fascinating. Like it feels like get, like Graham actually went through like a lot of character development just in these like 20 pages or so. Um, now, I don't think this means he won't question stuff from now on. You know, just because you've gotten some certainty about your current scenario doesn't mean your personalities are all of a sudden going to do like a 180 and change. Like he will, but um, he might actually make decisions a bit quicker now. Um, you know, after getting in touch with death, basically. Um, and personally, I found this to be a pretty like mind bending experience. Like, a lot of the time, I was thinking, like, what is he actually trying to say? Like, this is kind of confusing. And yeah, it's not meant to be, like, straightforward. I think we're supposed to be, uh, I guess, just as disordered as Graham throughout all of this, right? We're supposed to be not really landing anywhere until right at the end, everything kind of connects really well. Um, so yeah, I thought this character was really well done, and him going through some character development in, like, 20 pages or something was just really good. I also wanted to see... Um, Oh, sorry. I also, like, really, like, really enjoyed, um, like, the swinging of the wrench, like, the, uh, like, the effect, um, like, the woof, 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 woof sound, like, the way it's, like, written, and how the author, like, he decreases, like, the intervals between each sound to make it seem faster as you're reading it, right? So, like, at the start, it's like, woof, 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 and it's like, woof, 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 and it's like, woof, 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 woof. Right, like he's like written it in that way, which makes it like really like tense, and it's like a really clear image in my mind of like a wrench that's just increasing in speed over and over and over again, and you know like winds like swirling around it, and everyone's just looking on at him like holy shit, like what is this guy gonna do kind of thing, like that was really well done and it's just a great way to kind of end you know, end the scene, um and yeah, so I think Graham you know was the star of this scene like without a doubt. Um, and yeah, I think that was all just really fantastic. Um, now just a little bit more stuff. Um, just going to talk about, um, like some moments I thought were funny or cool. Um, so I thought the moment where Graham like leaves a hole within the flames of an explosion, explosion that Rail made basically, and then pops up right next to Rail was really good. Like it just sounded really cool. Um, and, um, his conversations with Rail were great as well. Like he talks about how Rail and Frank have a good friendship um, connection and friendship is a big theme in this novel, so it's nice to see it, like, pop up again. Um, Graham also talks to Rail about how he's not going to kill him, and that this would be, like, a stride towards world peace because of his lack of violence. Um, he also says that no one else has to know about this small m moment of, um, like, pacifism. But then Rail says, Rail says that that's bullshit, and I think that's because Rail wants recognition in some way. You'll remember that he likes the idea of going down in history. So I think the reason why Rail thinks it's bullshit is um, because, well, he's, he's maybe like projecting some of his stuff onto Graham, which is like, well, like you, you want to be remembered, like you're acting like you don't want to be remembered, but deep down you want to, right? That's kind of how Rail acts. But, um, you know, maybe Graham's, I don't know, more pure in that way. Like he doesn't, um, he doesn't really need kind of like the outside recognition. Um, but yeah, we'll have to see that about his character or if this kind of little interaction actually leads to something. Um, but yeah, I thought that was a good kind of back and forth. Oh, and a, a part that I thought was like hilarious was when Graham's talking to Lisa. Um, and you know, she's, it's Lisa, right? So she's just like in the background, you can't really see her. And then Graham's men are just looking on and looking at him and thinking like, he's finally started talking to invisible people. Like I, th I thought that was good. Um, I thought that was a really funny line. 
And I also like how um, Graham thinks to himself that Rail and Frank like will live and the rest will die. So he's decided that he's going to save those two. Um, and I think he may like the connection between Rail and Frank. Or he's formed some sort of small bond with them. I'm not 100% sure, but that's the kind of vibe I get. Now, I am kind of worried about the rest of Lamia. Like, I do hope they don't die. Like, I don't want Graham to all of a sudden flatten every one of them. <laughs> like, I do want to know more about Sickle. Um, and I don't really want Chi to die either. Um, we know nothing... Like, we know nothing will happen to Lisa from Graham. Because she... Like, from the previous novel, we know that she will dip out. And then try to take Lad as a hostage. And then get a head caved in by Lad. So, you know, like... Not saying <laughs> things are going to be more positive for Lisa, but we know she's not going to be taken out by Graham. Now, seeing um, Sickle's fighting style was cool, um, and then seeing them working together as Lamia was interesting as well. Uh, Graham very much felt like a raid boss for the Lamia team. Like, I can totally see how without Christopher, they would have, like, a ton of, like, trouble with him. Like, Lamia... I mean, Lamia's not, like, weak, um, but it's just Graham's just that much of a monster. Um, like, most likely, Rail and Frank will be taken by Graham. Uh, I hope that happens, to be honest. Um, because that means Rail and Frank will be taken to the Russo family. And then they'll be able to meet Christopher, which would be, like, a great reunion. Um, yeah, and then we'd be able to see Rail and Christopher talk. So, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, so, yeah, overall, I thought this scene was really intense. Um, I was really immersed, <laughs> confused. It felt chaotic, but everything made sense in the end, which was what I really enjoyed. Um, a lot of really good ca uh, action, a lot of good character stuff. So overall, I thought it was a really, yeah, really great scene. Okay, so in the next scene, we check in with the cops, and they're mostly confused as to what happened. So there was a big fight between um, Graham and um, the rest of Lamia. You know, we all know this, and this is kind of like the aftermath of that. And they do mention some things that are kind of interesting. Um, they mentioned some trail that they had with the Russo family. Some guy named Sildaris who got caught up in some bomb. Uh, not sure if this will be relevant later, but I thought I'd just mention it. Um, I thought I'd go through all the incident reports from the eyewitness, eyewitness testimonies and try to like predict what happens or just kind of give my thoughts. So yeah, the first one, a huge kid and this other scarred-up kid tore the place apart. So that's Frank and Rail, and they tore the place apart, basically, because Rail has bombs. Next one, it was Martians. Martians attacked. Um, no clue. I feel like that's just some, you know, some bullshit um, passerby saying some random crap, basically. Um, the next one, the pink elephant blew up. So this one's interesting. What pink elephant? A guy in blue coveralls moved down, mowed down, sorry, a bunch of weirdos. So it sounds like Lamia got the like their ass kicked by Graham, basically. Um, this giant dame, about 10 feet tall, stripped down to a, like a, a suit and then went nuts. Uh, so who are they talking about? I mean, 10 feet tall. I think Sickle is considered to be pretty tall. So maybe that's Sickle or maybe her powers or something like that. Not 100% sure there. Um, someone rode in a weird little mammoth and then rode off somewhere. Okay, so there was actually some sort of, like, elephant or something there. Like, maybe Lamia's car looks like an elephant or something, or maybe there's other people there. Um, the eggs exploded. I kid you not, it was freaky. I'll never eat eggs again. Sounds like Rail's bombs. The end of the fork got bigger and bigger, and the closer it got to the tip, stabbed me right in the eye. No clue what that is. Um, the next one about Graham popping his arm back into place and him being, like, lad is 
you know, self-explanatory. I mean, that's probably exactly what happened. Um, and the next one, about 10 guys conducting explosions. They're, you know, they're going to conduct new explosives here. It, it just, it's just strange. It feels like there's like another part that got involved in the incident, like some other party kind of rode in and interrupted the fight or something like that. The criminal had white hair and his ears were turned off, torn off. Sorry, This is even more confusing. Um, it really feels like there's another party here. Uh, yellow clothes, yellow clothes. Okay, definitely a new party. I don't know who wears yellow clothes. No idea. Um, after this, the poet's talking with like two of the twins. So each from their own collective, basically. And he talks about love and how it's hard to sever bonds of love and how he too is searching for love. Um, I think this might be pulling into the theme of connection between people in this novel. Um, so the small girl was Hilton and the policeman was um, uh, Sham. Um, and the poet ends saying, the Alice who wandered into prison, into prison may in fact be us. So once again, referring to the idea of Alice in Wonderland, that Huey is bent on creating a new world and even Lamia are in the dark as well. They don't know what's going on. He's surprised at how many twins are up and about, which means Huey's plan is going to be pretty big and that they might, that they may not be headed into a wonderland, but actually more of a prison. Now, the next scene is an interesting one. So we're back with one of my favorites, Rail, and he's walking through an alleyway. We get like a small recount about what happened with in regards to their fight with Graham. So basically, Chi and Sickle try to beat Graham, but he dislocated their arms and legs and all of that. They couldn't beat him at all. And seeing all of this, it made Rail feel completely and utterly powerless. He knew that Graham was going easy on him, um, so that really hurt him. Uh, after that, Rail uses some of his like egg-like um, explosives as a diversion for himself, and then the rest of Lamia can like escape. So we have one report, um, the the one about the eggs exploding and um, never eating eggs again, that we can confirm is an honest recount. Um, it's referring to Rail's explosives, which makes a lot of sense. Now, what I hope happens is we move around uh, between like the different members of Lamia and see what happened in those moments after the explosion from Rail's eggs. If the outcome is just um, all the Lamia members got away, it would be pretty kind of lame. Like just with, you know, with all the build up and ending the scene on a cliffhanger with Graham about to go nuts and him like swinging his um, wrench around and stuff like that, it would be kind of unsatisfactory if all that's if that's all that happened. But all of the reports from the onlookers gives me hope that this isn't going to be the case. That we'll be seeing um, a lot more about what kind of happened in that situation. One moment in this scene I really liked was Rail wondering if he should reach out to Huey. He's very confused about this situation and he feels the need to reach out for help, but he doesn't want to. He hates Huey and he rationalizes that he only works for Huey because he begs him to, basically, um, to do things that he can't do. Um, I think we can tell that from this reaction that Rail does feel connected to Huey. Um, I think he does yearn for his approval like Lisa does, but he secretly, uh, like he secretly yearns for her, but he's not really kind of conscious, conscious, sorry, of that yearning. He just sees it more as like hatred. Um, I think he tries to convince himself that he doesn't care about Huey, but I think he does deep down. Also, we get to see some, uh, like more of Rail's more compassionate side. Um, he feels a lot of guilt for Chi and Sickle being hurt. Um, it was his plan to be decoys, and since he planned the mission, he feels responsible that they got hurt during the mission. So, now Rail gets surrounded by a bunch of people in lab coats. 
Another thing that he says that um, shows how annoyed and frustrated he is with himself for being so useless in the fight with Graham, um, he immediately thinks that it's Huey's men who have come to kill him because he's been so useless. Um, I think the word useless is pretty poignant word for Rail. I remember Adele also had insecurities of being useless as well. Also, Christopher also thought that perhaps the twins didn't reach out to him because they deemed him useless because he lost. Um, while Christopher seems to be able to like self-soothe himself in terms of the idea of being useless, he is still like troubled by being like an unnatural person. So both feeling like useless and unnatural and um, like these thoughts that um like they all contribute to um, this idea of feeling different from humans and perhaps even lesser in some extent. Um, I think most of the Lamia members really devalue their own humanity. And it sounds like Huey is the main culprit for this. I think this is also why the connection between Lamia members is so important. Um, it's all they have, really. Um, anyway, when Renee shows herself to Rail, I thought this line was pretty impactful. Um, something familiar and loathsome about the individual in front of him. Uh, so when like Rail is referring to Renee, after hearing her speak, Rail gets the impression that she's just like Huey. Something familiar and loathsome. It's a really like apt description for how Rail feels towards Huey. Um, she says things like, um, "I'd like to dismember you and see what Huey's done to you." Like Rail notices that she's just like Huey. Like Renee only sees him as a thing, just a subject, an object, something less than human. Like the horror and the nausea Rail felt during this scene was pretty striking, and um, like hearing the alarm bells in his body go off louder and louder. Like, the more he sees the similarities between Huey and Renee felt pretty powerful as well. Almost like this, like, gross nostalgia, like, em emitting from Renee. Um, it's also, like, noted that Rail has memories that were just as loud that flared up, like, upon hearing, like, Renee. So these must be memories from being treated like an experiment by Huey. Uh, I just want to touch on the fact that Rail, despite everything, is a pretty optimistic guy because he's so, I don't know, I feel like it's because he's naive and young, at least right now. Uh, when he hears Renee's like earnest sounding voice, he has slight hope that she might actually be good, but very quickly that's shot down by like this eerie nightmare feeling he gets because um like he can tell that um he, she's just like Huey. So overall, I thought this was a like really good scene. Um, I'm sure you guys can tell, but I think right now like Rail is a pretty great character for this uh like a good character to follow. Like I like how earnest he can be. Um, I like that he's naive. I. Like, the hatred he has for Huey is also interesting, and I think his design's pretty cool as well. He has, like, a lot of emotional depth, um, so I hope nothing bad happens to him. So, Renee, don't dissect him, please. Um, but yeah, that was a good scene. Now, thank you for everyone for listening. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Anime Echoes, that's two words. And if you could leave a review or a like, that would be really helpful. Okay, thanks again, and have a good one. Bye.